Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. On June 8, 1947, a new series debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting System. Willis Cooper of Lights Out fame matched his writing skills with the vocal talents of Ernest Chappell to create Quiet Please, a program that continues to stand as one of the greatest achievements in audio drama. And this week, we're listening to one of these episodes, Wear the Dead Man's Coat. The legacy of Quiet Please certainly impacted television as well as radio. For instance, it is widely believed that the series directly influenced Rod Serling when he created The Twilight Zone. But 13 years before The Twilight Zone and one year before the debut of Quiet Please, Cooper collaborated with producer Fred Coe to create a televised version of Lights Out. The first show debuted on NBC on June 30th, 1946, and three more installments were released that year. Unfortunately, no known recordings survived, but critics heaped praise upon the productions. Variety magazine said, It's usually considered in bad taste for a reviewer to use superlatives in describing a show. Sometimes, however, such a course of action cannot be helped. After a three-year break, the show returned as a regularly scheduled series running weekly until 1952. Over 150 episodes were produced in total. We mention this because the May 14, 1951 episode of the Lights Out TV series is an adaptation of this Quiet Please script, Wear the Dead Man's Coat. And for anyone who is curious, we will be watching the televised version over on our YouTube channel in a special Mysterious Old Radio Watching Society episode. We'll put a link in our show notes or just go to YouTube and search for the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Please check it out. But first, the original version of the story. This is Wear the Dead Man's Coat from Quiet Please. First broadcast, February 23rd. 1948. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Doc was right. So 
Well, that fixes me. You think it don't? Well, listen. You wouldn't know Kidney Foot Cassidy, would you? Yeah, of course you wouldn't. You might have seen him if he was ever walking along Canal Street around six in the evening in the summertime, or if he was down near Wabash and Van Buren under the yell of a winter afternoon. He was the guy that put the bite on you for a dime to get to Oak Park because he'd forgotten spent his last 15 cents for a magazine. He'd show you the magazine and offer to give it to you for a dime. But you never took it. You slipped him a dime and a dime and a dime. And pretty soon you'd have enough to go to Racine if you wanted to. And that's the price of a half pint of the brown stuff in the bottles. He ain't panhandling anymore. He ain't doing nothing. The cops got onto that Oak Park gimmick of his after a while, and Kitty Foot was a little slow in the head, see? Well, he's been doing that one so long he couldn't work up a new kind of bite, so for quite a while he ain't had many dimes. I used to see him a lot around Wabash and Van Buren, or in the summertime over on Canal Street. Ain't nobody gonna see him anymore. Any place. He's dead. Ain't anybody gonna ball over Kidney Foot Cassidy if there's to be any balling done ball over me. Three nights ago it was. I was... I was coming out of the drugstore there under the L. It was around 12, 12.30. I just had a cup of job and a donut. Who should brace me but Kidney Foot Cassidy? He come waddling up, walking like his feet hurt him. That's how he got his name. His right name was Waller. And he put the old Oak Park bite on me. Uh, pardon me, mister. I gotta get to Oak Park, see, and I spent my last dime. Hiya, kiddie foot. Oh. Hello, Floyd. Never recognized you. What do you hear from the mob? What mob? Where's your overcoat? Hmm? Oh, I lost it. You got two bits? How'd you lose it? Hmm? Oh, I was asleep over there alongside the Polk Street Depot, and somebody took it off me. You got two bits? I got a dime. I got 14 cents. Ain't you cold? Hmm? Yeah, I sure am. Yeah, it's been awful cold, ain't it? You're freeze to death. I'm going to get me a coat tonight. Oh. Hmm? I don't know. I got to get one or I'll freeze to death. Give me the dime, will you, Floyd? What you been drinking, Kidney Foot? Hmm? Oh, I ain't been drinking. Give me the dime and buy 14 cents and I can get some stuff from a fella over on Plymouth Court. Yeah, you get the drinking kidney foot, you're sure going to freeze to death. I'm going to get a coat. Well, how? Take it away from somebody. Come on, let's walk over to Plymouth Court and find a fella and get us a drink. I'm cold. There was a time when I first come to Chicago... Less than many a year ago, and I was broke and had no place to stay. I was walking along Canal Street one night, and Kidney Foot Cassidy was the only guy in Chicago who took pity on me, bought me a cup of coffee, and left me sleep in his room over on West Madison Street, see? So we've had quite a win in Chicago this year, and I got a place to stay. I got a room on North LaSalle Street, at least while the dough lasts. And I ain't seen Kidney Foot for a long time, and he's a lot older. Poor guy is starving. What am I going to do? <laughs> and all I got to say is I wish I hadn't. I got 
up more than a dime I tell him about it. I offered to buy him a cup of jab and a hot dog over on South State in the shooting galleries where the dogs are bigger, even if they are staler. The kidney thought he don't go for eating, drinking is his racket. And it hasn't killed him. He ain't dead. Yet. So I walk over to Plymouth Court with him. That's a little kind of alley off Van Buren between State and Deborah. It's all full of printing houses. It's dark there at night. Especially this time of night. You could hear his teeth chatter for two blocks. Now, this three nights ago, see, I say to Kidney Foot, why don't he come home with me? But he ain't interested. All he can think of is a bottle. And I guess, uh, coke. So, we get the bottle from a little guy in a big overcoat like a Mackinac with a sheepskin collar that come out from between a couple of buildings in the dark. And after Kidney Foot takes a great big slug out of the bottle, he gets the coke. Kidney Foot was sore because the bottle busted when he clouded the guy, but when he took the coat off him, there was two more bottles in the guy's suit coat. Me? I never done a thing. But I couldn't. I didn't have a chance. One minute, Kidney Foot is slugging down rock gut. The next minute, the guy is laying on the cobblestones and the old man's taking his coat. He put it on and he... Run his hands in the pockets, he wiggled down inside the sheepskin collar, and he laughed. <laughs> hey, I'm warm, Floyd. <laughs> I'm standing there with my face hanging out a foot. Warm, I think. Warm. <laughs> Boy, you're hot in the pistol. You know, that's the thing. This little guy, you never think he never heard a flea. And he takes this fellow like that. I don't need to ask, is he dead? I'm so surprised I can't move. I just popped my eyes. Oh, kidney footy giggles again. <laughs> How do you like it, Floyd, huh? And I just say, gig, gig, gig. Then kidney footy takes another drink of the stuff and grabs him by the arm. <laughs> Come on, Floyd. Let's go. Go? Go where? Up to your place. Listen. You're going to put me up for a couple of days, kid, ain't you? Well, but I... Kid, look, I just uh, knocked the guy off. I'm hot, kid. Are you my friend or ain't you? Listen, kid, before I... Who was it staked you when you was a punk right here in town without a nickel, huh? Who was it? Well, it was you, kid, before, but I'm not... And if it comes to that, kid, why, you was right here with me when the guy was knocked off. You know, them cops is awful good persuaders. Ah, uh, looky I here. I might get all mixed up, see, and put the finger on you. Not meaning to, you see, but, uh, see? Well, I never done a thing. You know I never. Yeah, but how long you think them tough guys down at the Bureau will believe that, Floyd? Come on. Leave us go home. So what could I do? He had me, didn't he? So I took him home with me. All the way over to the streetcar, he was giggling to himself like he was nuts or something. And I never said a word. What was I to say, huh? So when I seen the streetcar coming, I says to him, Now listen, I says, cut out that laugh and make a fool of yourself, I says. It's bad enough what you've done already without drawing some streetcar county's attention to you so as he'll remember you, I says. So he says, uh uh-huh, to me. We get on the car and stand on the back platform. We're just crossing Randolph Street when he looks up at me and he says, 
<laughs> it sure feels warm, Floyd. Shut up talking about it. <laughs> this is the warmest coat I ever had. All right, shut up, will you? About the warmest coat in the world, I bet. Will you shut up? <laughs> yeah, okay. Then I noticed my streetcar car is looking at me as if I'm nuts or something. I never said nothing. What? I said I didn't say anything. Well, so what? So don't tell me to shut up, Billy. I wasn't talking to you. Well, don't get heavy with me, Billy. You know how stupid you look standing there talking to yourself. I wasn't talking to myself. Okay, so I'm nuts. Lake Street, Lake Street, next. Well, I say to myself, the guy must be nuts. Here is Kidney Foot standing right alongside of me, grinning like a chassis cap, wiggling his neck around inside that fuzzy collar. Can't the guy see? We was all the way to Division Street where we get off when I remember the county only took one fare from me. We're walking up Division Street towards LaSalle, Kidney Foot, bobbing along the side of me. He's kind of chuckling again down inside his collar. I put it to him. What was with that there streetcar jockey, Kidney Foot? How? He didn't see you. <laughs> didn't he? He acted like he didn't. Besides, I never paid him no fare for you. And he never asked me. <laughs> Funny, huh? I don't get it. Well, I ain't very anxious to be seen by nobody. Yeah. Listen, Kidneyfoot. What? Look, you know me. I ain't no angel. Yeah, <laughs> you say not, kid. <laughs> well, what I mean, listen. Huh? I don't like this deal one little bit. I won't stay long, Floyd. Well, what I mean, uh... I can't stand no manslaughter rap, see? Oh, me neither, Floyd. One more rap and I'm in Joliet from now on. Uh, me too. Now, look at Kidney Foot. Don't be tough on me. I won't be no tougher than I have to, Floyd. Well, I mean... I know what you mean, kid. It's the same difference with me, see? I don't want that Joliet department either. Well, I... So I figured like this. The only out I got is for you to stash me away for a while, see? I got nothing against you, kid, but this here is the only out I got, see? Yeah, I know. So you better play ball, see? Uh, or else. Yeah. Well... Sure, take it easy, kid. Nobody's gonna see me. Nobody's gonna put a finger on me. I ain't gonna put the finger on you, kid, but... Nobody ain't. Especially you. Because if you do, it's where you live? Yeah. I keep quiet if Miss Friedberg sees you. Who's that, the landlady? Yeah. She sees you. Throw the both of us out. She won't see me. Well, don't leave her. The uh, streetcar Connie didn't see me, did he? Well, but... <laughs> Man, you cut that out. Did he? <laughs> well, what are you laughing at, anyhow? <laughs> I just thought of something funny. What? And I'll tell you when we get in the room. <laughs> Is it warm up there? Yeah, it's all right. Tell me what. <laughs> Some like old lady told me once. <laughs> Come on, open the door. Yeah. Keep quiet. Now, don't make any noise. Up the stairs. Go ahead. You don't have to worry, Floyd. Nobody will see you. Cut it out. Come on in, quick. Okay. Say, this is fine, Floyd. Yeah, go to bed and shut up. Where are you going to sleep? I ain't sleepy. 
What you need is a slug of stuff. And you'll sleep night and one. Take off that coat and go to bed. Oh, no. No, I don't want to take it off. I like it. Suit yourself. Only don't make any noise. Don't you want a drink? No. Uh, well, I do. I mean, my head was banging like a boiler factory. 
Kathy that there two-bit whiskey jars your teeth loose if you ain't used to it like Kitty Blue Kathy was. Yeah. I sat there on the edge of the bed and I thought. The more I thought, the worse it got. I was stuck. He had me. If I beeped, he put the mark on me and where he went, I'd go to. Didn't do no good to think. No, because I'm a good guy. Because Cassidy had to have an overcoat. No cop in the world would believe me for a minute. Oh, I need a drink. Bottle's empty. I sit and look out at the brick wall next to the window. I look at Cassidy all warm in his new coat and sleeping the sleep of the just. Well, I'm going to wake him up, too. Then there's a rap on the door and it opens and I'm going to jump out of my skin. Boy, am I scared. Mr. Freiberg. I tried to throw the blanket over Cassidy. Good morning. Didn't you forget something yesterday, Floyd? Forget? Forget what? He kicks the blanket off. It was rent day yesterday. Oh, uh, rent. Cassidy opens one eye and looks at Mrs. Freiberg. Rent day? What's the matter with you this morning? Mm, got a hangover. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I have. Cassidy makes a face at her. He smells like a brewery. Well? Yeah? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll give you the money. Trying to keep eye on Cassidy. How much is it? You sure have got a hangover, ain't you? It's four dollars, just the same as it always was. Okay, four dollars. Cassidy's climbing out of bed. Four dollars. Listen, Floyd, I got my cleaning to do. I can't take up the whole morning talking to you. All right. I reach in my pocket, I take out the four dollars, and I hand it to her. Cassidy has come out of bed, and he's standing right there in front of Mrs. Freiberg, all squidged up in his coat. He's making faces at her. She don't notice a thing. What are you looking so funny about? I, uh, hang over, I guess. Cassidy's bobbing up and down in front of her, grinning like an ape, and she don't pay no mind. You want a receipt? Receipt? No, I, I guess not, Miss Freiberg. I guess not. What are you up to, Floyd? Me? I won't stand for no monkey shines in my house. You know that. I ain't got no monkey shines. Well, all right. See, you don't. I'll send David up to make the bed. You better get out and get some air. Yeah. Cassidy is doubling up, laughing all the time she's talking. So she goes out and he pretty near busts. <laughs> You see? You see? I am invisible. Oh, boy. Why didn't I think of this before? <laughs> well, what you gonna think? He was right there. He done everything but pinch the old lady, and she never seen him. Did you ever hear that before? Getting invisible wearing the coat of a guy you killed? Yeah, I never did either. But boy, it's no kidding. Sure. Him and me went out right past the houseboy, David. He speaks to me. Don't give Kitty Foot a tumble. They walk down the street, and Kitty Foot deliberately walks right into a guy, and the guy begs my pardon. The guy at Thompson's thought I was cuckoo when I ordered two breakfasts. He sure thought we was only me. <laughs> Kitty Foot slips his mid into the cash drawer, lifts a couple of $10 bills. He snatches a handful of nickels and dimes from a newsstand. <laughs> 
just like everybody but me was fine to him. And then went back to the house and we read the newspapers he pinched. There's the item about that fella that got killed. Mystery. And the old chills begin to crawl up my spine when it says the cops have got a clue. And maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but there was two of us there. There's only one of us that anybody can see. It's me. All the time, Cassidy's sitting there wrapped up in that coat, that dead man's coat. And I say to him finally, Cassidy, will you take that coat off? Floyd, I, I can't take it off. Why not? I tried it. It won't come off. Ah, stop it. Unbutton it and take it off. Floyd, I tell you, I can't take it off. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. The buttons won't unbutton. i got to keep on wearing it. Hey, let me try. <laughs> Gosh, I can't get it unfastened. I know you can't, Floyd. I remember the rest of the saying. What saying? About the dead man's coat. It's, it's something about how you're dead when you take it off. tried all day, every once in a while, to get the coat off him, but it was no soap. You could get a button and fasten, and when you tried the next one, the first one, the button all over again. Cassidy got scared and scared. So did I, for that matter. Twice during the day, old lady Freiburg come running up to see where all the commotion was about. It was Cassidy crying. I always managed to shut him up before she got in the room. Of course, she couldn't see him. By nighttime, I was pretty near nuts. I got him another bottle and finally he went to sleep, all wrapped up in his coat. Or the guy's coat. Oh, sir, I didn't sleep on that bed with him. I slept in the chair. What sleeping I'd done? He woke up in the morning, hollering, and I shut him up. I talked to him about how swell it was to be invisible. About how he could get in places, jewelry stores, banks, rich people's houses over on Lakeshore Drive. All the time he kept sitting there wiggling in that coat. He'd be trying to take it off and then he'd all of a sudden think about having to be dead to get it off and he'd stop. And I keep on talking about how nice it is to be invisible and he's fidgeting and not listening much. After a while, an idea came to me. It would be nice to be invisible. <laughs> and it would be nicer to be invisible and not have kidney food Cassidy around. I guess my talking to him had to run down. What's the matter with you, Floyd? Me? Nothing, Kimmy. What? You're looking at me awful funny. Am I? Give me a drink. So I give him a drink. I went out and I bought two more bottles. Fifth. Money was going to be plentiful pretty soon, see? And he passed out. He sat there in the dark and thought. Long towards morning, I made up my mind. I'd get rid of this guy that was hanging around my neck. And I'd be invisible, too. Man. Think about that yourself sometime. The things a guy could do if you can't see him. So it was 7 o'clock in the morning when I went over the bureau and got out my Georgia boxing glove. You know what a Georgia boxing glove is? Switchblade knife. Blade about an inch longer than the palm of your hand is wide. Kidney foot was snoring kind of quiet. And I went over to bed. I'd given the Georgia boxing glove for a present. 
out, see? It was a success. I walked all in the loop. I rode streetcars for free. I took a guy's pocketbook right out of his hand. Pretty near noon when I decided to come back to my room and pick up what odds and ends I needed. Oh, nobody see me go in. I went right up to the room. Did I get a surprise? Cassidy was delaying there. He, he hadn't bled at all. But old lady Freiburg was there, too, having a cat fit. There was two guys with her. One I spotted for a dick right away you couldn't miss. The other guy was bending over Cassidy. He was a doctor. I seen his grip. Old lady Freiburg was talking. I came up to, to change the bedclothes, and there he was. I don't know how he got in here. So Cassidy wasn't invisible anymore. But I was. And then the doctor turns around. How long has this man been here? I don't know. He wasn't here yesterday. That's funny. Funny? How is it funny? Well, it's funny because this man's been dead for three days. Three days? Three days? Well, I just killed him this morning. No, ma'am, I'm sure. He's been dead for three days at least. Three days? It was three days ago. He put on a dead man's coat. He's been... He's been... I got the coat on now. And... I, I can't get it off.
That was Wear the Dead Man's Coat from Quiet Please here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We're doing kind of a tie-in here. Joshua, explain again before we go into our assessment of the cool tie-in we're doing with this episode. We are going to be also doing a video podcast called the Mysterious Old Radio Watching Society, where we're going to look at old-time radio show-inspired old-time TV shows like Lights <laughs> Out, a Suspense, Inner Sanctum, and we're going to do this occasionally. We're basically doing a pilot and see if we like it, see if you guys like it, uh, but it's going to be over on our YouTube page. So after you listen to this, go over and watch Willis Cooper's Dead Man's Coat from Lights Out, the TV show. Uh, why did you choose this tie-in with this episode of Quiet Please and the television show of Dead Man's Coat. Well, I'm going to save some of that for our video podcast. Sure. Uh, sure. I don't want to give a lot away until people have watched the other episode, but I am a fan of this particular episode of Quiet Please, the radio show. And when I discovered that there was a TV version that also had uh, Basil Rathbone in it, I was sold. And not to give too much away, but they are very different takes on the premise of this episode. So Quiet Please, it's, I guess, hard to argue that it's not one of the greatest and best uh, radio shows in the history of radio shows. And But as you guys know, I've had my moments with Quiet Please where I'm like, Oh, no, that didn't land for me. And then I feel like an outsider because how could you can't say bad things about quiet, please? And then there's the ones that just, God, that's really good. And there's a lot that's very consistent about it that I love. I really love it when an episode lands in our podcast, A Quiet Please, and at the end I go, oh, thank God, I don't have to be on the outside and saying I don't get it. Or I don't understand why everybody loves it because I really enjoyed this a lot. Oh, good. I thought we would have to explain it was the coat that made him invisible, <laughs> Eric. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I, I will say that because Willis Cooper has such a huge variety of storytelling, but it's all very distinctly him. It makes total sense to me that there'd be episodes that you go like, yes, that was meaningful and constructed and there's depth and I didn't like it. That's exactly what happens. It's really well written. Ernest Chappell never fails to do a magnificent performance. Even the ones I don't like, I love the attempt. <laughs> I love the courageousness of some of it. It's this. It's like sushi. Everybody loves sushi and everybody goes crazy when they eat sushi. And then I can't get near it. I can't get near any fish, but I just feel bad. I want to be in on that party because people don't <laughs> eat sushi. They don't go, oh, that's good. People eat sushi like this. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. That People eat sushi like it's the greatest thing that's ever every bite. And then you sit there and go, yeah, I'm just going to have these uh, snap peas. Because <laughs> all it's on the menu that I can eat. Well, I think we've pretty clearly explained this episode now, and we can. Yeah. Just, uh... <laughs> I just like being on yeah. board. It's going to be hard to not make reference to the video. I will say, without giving anything away, that I watched the video that the TV show first, oh. and I wish I hadn't because it ruined some moments of this for me because when you just call something dead man's coat 
I don't know what's going to happen. It's just called Dead Man's Coat. And then eventually within this, you find out, oh, the coat makes him invisible. And that I already knew when I started listening to this. You're missing some vital component of nerd DNA that you would get two pieces of entertainment and not watch them in chronological order. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Do you know why? Because I couldn't wait to watch Basil Rathbone. That's why. Uh, I was so excited. All right. Well, let's bracket Nerd that Nerd bona fide is reestablished. Right. <laughs> Forget about the video. Right. Although I agree with you. Um, that was unfortunate that you did that. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but given that, I think you could still see where some of the twists and surprises come in to this episode before you realize the power of this dead man's coat. Yes. Um, One of the things I really liked about this on a thematic level, just to kick it off, is this natural and supernatural parallel in that in the real world, a homeless person acquiring a coat, as is pointed out in the script, is a matter of life and death. Right. In the supernatural world of the story, a homeless person acquiring a coat is also or becomes a matter of life and death. And it feels significant whether it was intentional on Cooper's part that he chose to use homeless people or at least episodically homeless people to tell a story about invisibility. People who are on the margins and are already not seen or we choose not to see them. And so he takes this tragic real life truth and weaves it into this supernatural tale. It is interesting contrast to that, which I don't disagree with you, but it also plays into that evil temptation of invisibility of imagine what I could do if there were no repercussions, if no one could see what I was doing, that that's the evil impulse in the story. It explains some things about the shadow because invisibility, one side effect is that you laugh maniacally. (laughs) (laughs) Because as soon as Kidney Foot puts on that coat, he's just like, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I think that had to be intentional on Cooper's part because he even pointed out we stopped laughing a couple times and we're going to get sued. <laughs> You've asked that before, Eric. Like, why does the shadow just yeah. sit there and laugh? He can't help himself. <laughs> right. Now we know. Now the price know. you pay for invisibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's solved. <laughs> so the opening of this has the countdown of days. And I really liked that a lot because you never forget it and you're waiting for it to pay off until almost the last line. It's definitely how you do a hook because it is both cryptic and informative at the same time because it tells you that the narrator very well may die because he says, well, that fixes it for me. I've got three days and he's counting them. And then it's also this key, as Eric says, to unlocking the final lines of the story. Very well done. That final twist for me is the part that really, really elevates this episode. The actual plot of the coat and the mystery of it was fun to listen to, but it didn't really match other Quiet Please episodes I'd heard uh, until the sort of existential fear of like the real threat here is this guy acknowledging I am currently dead. Mm -hmm. That... In sort of nuts and bolts, the difference is not much. I mean, not much has changed for him. As for a kidney foot, too, of once put the coat on, he's just invisible till he dies. And like, okay, that's a fact. But the knowledge of it, what it means being something scary more than what it actually entails in the, in the physical world. Yeah, there's a lot of fascinating stuff about that ending because it begs a few questions. Like, 
if Cassidy was dead the moment he put on the coat, mm-hmm. how exactly did Floyd kill him? Was it just Floyd's intention to kill him enough to release not just the coat off his body, but release kidney foot into actual death? Or is it less literal? That he is in some special space because he can see him. Yeah, it feels like to me like kidney foot became dead to the world in a figurative sense when he put on the coat. Unvisible, as kidney foot (laughs) calls it. And then when Floyd gave him the old Georgia boxing glove, (laughs) kidney foot literally died, but there's some kind of supernatural poetic justice that demanded that the physical state of his body match the time period of his figurative death. Yeah. If Floyd, the narrator, continues to live for another 10 years, would he look like a skeleton when the coat came off? Would he look like he'd been dead for 10 years? Or is he now just basically a ghost? I took it as that when you put the coat on, you die immediately. You are a walking on the earth phantom. And you just don't know you're dead. Uh, you can do physical things. You can move around. You just don't know. Uh, Bruce Willis, Sixth Sense. And then Kidney Foot dies, which I love saying his name. <laughs> Good old Kidney Foot. Uh, when he dies, the coat, of course, comes off. But he'd already been dead for three days. So there was something in the act of Floyd killing him that right. releases the coat. Because Floyd tried to help him off with the coat. If Kidney Foot believes, his spirit believes that he is dead or going to die or being killed, that belief is what releases him to the next world. Therefore, the coat is released. Which might work with the way Ernest Chappell delivers that last line. He has the sudden realization that he's actually dead and he has this panic moment. Just with his voice, you can see him tearing at that coat Mm -hmm. as he says those last lines. And so maybe just finding out from the doctor is enough to make him drop dead. (laughs) That mystery of it, is he panicked because he's dying right now or because he's, you know, about to lose whatever sense of life he has left? Or is it because there is no one who can kill him? He is stuck like that forever. But I think you're right, Joshua. If he realizes he's dead, then he should die immediately upon realization that he's dead. (laughs) In my, in my theory, you would just go, Oh wait, I'm dead. Oh, and then the coat would come off and you would fall down in front of those people and appear out of nowhere. And the reason I interpreted that way is, I don't know if you guys heard it, but it felt like that last line was cut off the way it was delivered as if he died. It might've been just a end of narration because he <laughs> could no longer do it. I would like to go with that. Cause then, you know me, I want everything wrapped up in a nice, neat bow and I don't want unanswered things. So can we just say that's what happened? Sure. No, <laughs> it is a appropriate amount of mystery. And I like, you know, like if you get something from to eat and you're looking at the back of it, like what all is in this? And there's some of them are blacked out like that's less fun. I want to eat that. That's a poor comparison, but I like a little mystery. Uh, coming from the guy who just made a comparison to sushi and uh, quiet, please. I, I think you're doing better than me. <laughs> One of the other things I really found interesting about this on a structural level is how Cooper lets the information out Mm. in that he gets suspense out of letting us know that these characters he's following are going to die at the end. Well, the narrator is likely to based on the cryptic things he said at the top and the narrator just tells us that kidney foot eventually dies. So you know they die, but you don't know how or why. 
And then as Tim said, you think it all has to do with just this invisible coat, which is fun and great, but that existential twist at the end is hidden by the fact that I think you didn't know any of the details and you assumed once we revealed that there was a coat, that was it. It's just a good writing lesson too of just like what information you give when, and then you still need to make it all seem fair at the end. So at the risk of just sitting here talking about Cooper's so awesome, Chapel's so awesome, but they are so awesome. And one of the things is all the lingo that is in this. Yes. I'm trying to remember some of the lingo that struck me as well. One of them was calling the guy Billy. The conductor yeah. kept calling him Billy. All right, Billy. Like that was a term in the like day. Joe. Like, yeah, hey, Joe, or hey, buddy. Or like Bobo's- the Georgia boxing glove. That kind of lingo is just sprinkled throughout. And I think it's mixed in too with the authenticating details of, of Chicago, all the street names, all the locations are real. And then when he says things like, uh, then, you know, kidney foot put the old Oak Park bite on me. He combines that lingo with the authentic locations and it just, it feels real. Yeah, He manages to make the supernatural elements feel real and have real life stakes through that authenticating detail. So it's cool. I am also always taken by in old time radio and old movies and stuff money always strikes me man that's a lot of booze for 24 cents i couldn't stop thinking about how much booze they got for 24 cents rent was well, four bucks. Rent is, yeah rent was four bucks yeah that's and like that, 16 boozes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your morning cup of coffee is a week's rent. Right. <laughs> Mine, because I get silly coffee, is much more. <laughs> so there's an interesting Foley discussion, as always, with Quiet, Please. Oh, God, I'm so glad you just brought this up. Because it's clearly a choice on Cooper's part. He decides okay. to go completely without Foley other than the organ to punctuate certain moments until we get to the scene where Kidney Foot and Floyd go back to Floyd's room that he's renting. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I find interesting about it is he decides to turn the sound effects on when sound becomes a very important part of the narrative. Because right. we don't hear footsteps or doors opening until Floyd is saying, we have to be really quiet. <laughs> yep. And then after that, it pretty much goes away again. And it's odd, but it's clearly a choice. It's not like he forgot to put Foley in the first half and last half. There are other quiet pleas where I've had that conundrum because you know me, if your Foley's not good, I have very little patience for you uh, as a writer or producer that you're not letting me hear things. I have some moments in the second act of War of the Worlds where I've complained about the Foley and and lack of. Yeah, yeah you know. I've never heard talks, you complain about the second act of War of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a thing. And this is what's weird to me. I should, on paper, it, you should be able to put two plus two and do the math and go, Eric doesn't like this. And somehow Cooper gets away with it with me. And I think I figured it out in this episode. There isn't any Foley. Why am I so enthralled? Why am I not irritated with that? Why am I still being whisked away and being able to see these things in my head? And it's really simple. It's writing and Ernest Chapel. If you can write well and describe well and have an actor of that caliber perform that well, 
here's another weird thing about Quiet Please. You, you know, it's always Ernest Chapel. We never get tired of him. We never get tired of hearing him, you know, and he's playing a different character every time. And you would think like in suspense, whatever, you get new actors. And he's not that great in the sense of, wow, that's a completely different thing. You know, like it's still kind of Ernest Chapel every time. There's something so engaging about him and so descriptive in his voice and his timing and his pattern and how he does voice acting. But it's interesting how they can get away with that and still keep you so locked into their storytelling. It was interesting getting ready for this episode because um, for the most part, we've introduced Quiet Please on more than one occasion. But I was looking through once again, like, all right, what's the background of Quiet Please? Willis Cooper and Chapel worked together on Mercury Theater, I believe is where they met. Uh, and Chapel was an announcer, and he really wasn't particularly established as an actor before this. Cooper just like knew him, had faith in him, and said, he's going to be great, and this is the right showpiece for him, and was proven absolutely correct. I've heard those Campbell's Playhouse with Ernest Chappell and you recognize him, but I mean, he, he sounds like your homespun generic announcer, not bad by any means, but like no. to be able to hear him talk in superlatives about Campbell's soup and somehow from just hearing that, imagine this series of quiet pleas and him giving voice to all these characters is a really impressive bit of insight on the part of Cooper. <laughs> That's how I look at huh. Here we go. You guys are going to fall asleep. But I'm really fascinated by sports scouting. Eric Sushi coming up. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you watch players play at different levels in sports and there are professional scouts that can see things in them that others can't see that I don't quite know how they do that. I guess experience. But yeah, to be able to guess at someone's ability. Like when we in theater, we cast the ones that are ready to go. Yep, that's it. That's what we wanted to be able to look at somebody or hear someone and go, I think maybe you could do that. That's a whole different thing. And imagine him pitching this to Mutual or NBC, wherever it started, where he's like, it's going to be the same actor every week. And I'm yeah. going to get that great actor from Mercury Theater. They're like, Orson, <laughs> Orson Welles? No. <laughs> Joseph Cotton? No. The Campbell Soup guy. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, only if you promise it's really slow paced <laughs> <laughs> and minimal sound effects right uh, overall i uh, you know I, I the journey of this was, was really nice you kind of know where it's going you kind of guess where it's going and then where it goes is kind of what you thought but kind of not so there's that too that it's not yeah i saw that coming it's yeah, I saw that coming, but not quite like that. Uh, absolutely. I was listening to this sort of playing the game of the mystery of, can I guess this? Can I figure out what's going on? Uh, and at the end, yeah, maybe the, but the game wasn't the interesting part for me. It was the meaning of what the answer was. I love that scene where he's trying to cheer up. Yes. It's great to be invisible. You'll Wait a second. I'm right. I'm going to kill you in your sleep. <laughs> yeah, that just occurs to him wait a minute, I don't have to have you around. And that's another thing I want to mention about this in particular is because of the laid back pace of Quiet Please, these two acts of violence just come out of nowhere and they just happen with no buildup and they're more effective for it. And that might be one of the reasons Cooper decided not to have any sound effects there because when Kidney Foot hits the guy with the bottle, it goes by so fast that I had to go, wait, what? Yep. And so you're kind of put in the shoes of Floyd, who's like, did that just happen? 
did he just kill a guy with a bottle of whiskey? And it's over before you know what happened and you're experiencing it through Floyd's eyes. It's a, a really nice moment. That's what I love about that scene is that that guy, he even says you wouldn't expect this guy to ever have that kind of violence in him yeah. and how quickly and how nonchalantly he just kills a guy. I think that makes that little guy kidney foot even more terrifying. I know I'm repeating what you just said, but I'm backing you up. And then you go back and think about kidney foot's lines earlier when he says again, in a very nonchalant manner, he warns Floyd. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get a coat. I have to, or I'll die. He's mm-hmm. basically telling him, like, no matter what, I'm going to get a coat tonight. Yeah. You just don't take it as a threat because he delivers it so casually. But after the fact, you realize well, that was his intention because this is life and death. And at that point, we only really know Kidney Foot is this kind of simple ne'er-do-well who we assume I'm going to get a coat. It's like he doesn't know what it takes to get a coat. He's never going to accomplish this, which is really wrong. He <laughs> yeah. sure got a coat. He seems like an amiable Damon Runyon-esque type character up until the point he brains the guy. <laughs> Before we go to a vote, I have two more small details I wanted to point out that I really liked. One, I forget this guy's name, the guy who played Kidney Foot, but he's really good. Yep. And one of the little ticks, and I'm not sure if the performer did it or it was in the script, in the earlier scenes, every time Floyd asks Kidney Foot a question, he goes, hmm? Like oh. he didn't hear it? but then answers without it being repeated. It lulls you into this sense that he's just this weird little harmless crazy guy. Yeah, I love that very much. I also love, by the way, speaking of the things of the time, how many times a kidney foot ends a sentence with, see? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just like that Cooper made up an old folk story. It made you think it was real, but then he acknowledges it. There's this like fourth wall break where Floyd says directly to listener, you ever hear that before? Getting invisible wearing the coat of a guy you killed? Me neither. Cooper. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. So, made that up. <laughs> so I just had an Eric moment. I just assumed it was an old tale I'd never heard before. I didn't know Cooper made it up. I didn't yeah. question it. Yeah. I didn't. I assumed based on that line that it's made up, and then I Googled it and couldn't find anything. And that is the beginning and end of all research today. So, <laughs> case closed. I just until this moment thought, yeah, I had some old wives' tale, some old myth uh, that I just never heard. Cool way to make a story out of it. The fact that he made that up, that's inspiring. I'm going to make one up and write a story. When you eat a cat. <laughs> You'll get fat. (laughs) I was kind of hoping it was true. It leads you to believe what other powers other articles of dead men's clothes (laughs) present you. Where dead man's shoes have really comfy feet. (laughs) Tell you, at my age, I might steal some shoes off a dead guy if my feet could stop hurting. Uh, I have done a lot of shopping at secondhand stores. I think I have had a variety of these powers. (laughs) (laughs) we all wear the clothes of the dead (laughs) i didn't even think about that tim i buy most of my clothes at thrift stores and yep until this moment i guess i put it way in the back of my head i probably am wearing dead guy clothes huh yep you are invisible to us for many reasons and that is (laughs) why we like sushi (laughs) (laughs) i thought i'd get through this whole episode being on board and part of the club (laughs) 
No. Almost made it. Well, you shouldn't have said this stuff about sushi. You're just painting a target on yourself. <laughs> uh, all right, let's send it to a vote. Hey, Joshua, you can start. Well, I like this story for all the reasons I already said. The fully inhabited characters, the really colorful dialogue, the real-life Chicago locations that really ground the supernatural premise the way Cooper creates suspense by telling us who's going to die. All the things I already said, they're just great. It's still not a classic. And that tells you how good <laughs> Quiet Please is. This is a great episode of Quiet Please. It's, I think it stands the test of time. It holds up to repeat listens. So maybe it is a classic. I don't know. But it's hard because it is being compared with some of the greatest audio dramas ever created so very close to a classic i will say i will make this quick and simple everything you just said with one thing uh it's not my absolute favorite episode of quiet please but everything you said i agree with but it is one of my favorites the best is still beezer's cellar that's a great one but this everything you said yep i also agree this is not a classic only because quiet please is so full of classics just stinking, overflowing with classics, but it's well-written, well-produced, a fascinating story, and with that ending twist becomes a really complex uh, think piece as well. So, yes, definitely stands the test of time. All right. Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can leave comments on various episodes. You can send us messages. You can request episodes. You can link to our social media pages. And I even think I should have a link there to our YouTube page, which will get you to the spot where you can watch with us the Lights Out television show where they do an adaptation, loose adaptation of this script. So check it out. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. It's very helpful to us. It allows us to do extra stuff like a video podcast on YouTube. So please, if you would like to support us, visit the page, see what stuff we have there. We've got a lot of bonus podcasts. So check it out. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. Please do. And we also used to do shows live on stage, of course, because of 2020. Uh, We're not currently live on stage, but we're still with Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. And since April of 2020, we have been doing recorded versions of recreations, but we have turned to doing original work since April. And we continue that now. If you go to parksquaretheater.org once a month, you can hear our original work. We talk to you at the beginning, give you the information. You listen to our show, gather everybody around the computer like it's a radio, dress it up like a radio, dress your computer up like a radio for Halloween, and then uh, listen to our shows. And then uh, we'll have a Q&A afterwards. That's parksquaretheater.org. We'd love to have you there. All right, what's coming up next? Next, we are going to begin a suspense-orama. That's right, a suspense marathon leading up to our 200th episode. And next time, we will be listening to The Dark Tower. Until then, look out!